0: What up all you beautiful Misfits and Rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 203 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I spoke with Ashley Pemberton from Overnight.Design. Ashley has a really cool service. He takes people's PowerPoint presentations and just gives them a super professional look and feel, and he delivers that to you within just 12 hours or less. So for somebody, for example, working in the UK, which is where he's from, at the end of the workday, after they've more or less created all the content for that PowerPoint presentation, they send it to him and his team over in Thailand. They make it look incredible, put everything together for you. And then you have it back by the time you wake up that you can present to whoever you're presenting for that day. I really enjoyed this conversation with Ashley because we really went deep into his desire to leave the UK and move to Thailand, what it was like for him over the 13 years he's been there, and the unique value proposition He discovered he had after he decided to make that move to Thailand, which was essentially leveraging the time zone he was in in Thailand against the UK time zone, allowing him to deliver a very cool service to his customers. Ashley and I not only talk about his business, what it was like for him to move to Thailand. But also some of the pitfalls that a lot of expats fall into when they find themselves in a place where they feel like they have complete freedom, where they don't feel judged by their peers or by the locals within the culture that they're residing, giving them sort of this limitless feeling that can sometimes be a downside to many people who don't have a strong constitution or self-restraint. But Ashley's done a great job of navigating it and in fact finds himself in a situation where he's really just trying to level up everything, his personal life, his business. And has set some really big goals for himself that I have no doubt he'll achieve. So this was a really fun episode for me because, again, I could relate to a lot of what he was talking about with the freedom that he feels since he's lived in Thailand and just all the cool aspects of getting to be an expat in cultures where the cost of living is a lot less than your home country and the place and its people are just so warm and wonderful. It makes life just that much more fulfilling. So if you're a first-time listener, please pull out that phone. Hit subscribe on whatever you're listening to Misfits and Rejects on. And if you like Misfits and Rejects, Please share it with somebody you think might get something from this episode. Maybe somebody needs Ashley's service, or maybe somebody could relate to Ashley's story, or you think that they might hear something within our conversation that really ignites that fire under them, inspires them to take that first step into whatever lifestyle they dream of having. And one last thing, if you like Misfits and Rejects and you want to support Misfits and Rejects, you can do that in one of two ways. First, you can head on over to patreon.com backslash misfitsandrejects, and you can give a monthly donation. Whatever you want, it's all appreciated. Nothing is expected. Or you can head over to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop and pick up a Misfits and Rejects t-shirt. Now I can send these anywhere in the world. So don't hesitate. If you're in Australia, Southeast Asia, Europe, wherever you may be, I can send this to you. They're super comfortable, tri-blend material, making it a very lightweight very comfortable t-shirt. So please feel free if you want to support Misfits and Rejects. Those are one of the two ways you can do that. And thank you again for joining us. I have no doubt you're going to like this episode. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Ashley Pemberton from Overnight.Design. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. And quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Damn it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today, I'm joined by Ashley Pemberton from Overnight.Design. Ashley, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Jay
0: pleasure to have you man thank you for calling in uh it's early your time you're in thailand in chiang mai it's what six or seven a.m
1: right seven a.m for me um one of the things about being in thailand and wanting to work with americans is you've got to get up early or stay up late
0: right i mean and that's you know we talked pre-show and hadn't planned necessarily jumping right in but i think it's natural that we could just kind of talk about what you do and, and why it's been such a blessing to be in thailand for you and your business model? Because, I mean, you kind of have capitalized on the time zone differences to deliver a service and a product that um, people really need and want in America, in the UK, that you talked pre-show about not really realizing that was going to be your your selling point. Can you talk us through what you do so the audience can get to know you a little bit better?
1: Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, For about the last 25 years, I have specialized as a PowerPoint designer. Um, so I use that software to create more than just presentations. It's posters. It's any form of graphic design. And we use it really because it's what I call the lowest common denominator. Everybody in business, everyone seems to have Microsoft Office installed. Everyone knows that when you open that, that piece of software called PowerPoint that you get this blank piece of paper come up on your screen and it's very easy to cut and paste and very easy to use. So PowerPoint Designers is the name of my business. And specifically, we design presentations for management consultants. Uh, My biggest client is based in the UK. Uh, They're a fully remote business based in the UK. And I was working for them in England and just really badly wanted to live in Thailand. I'd fallen in love with the country. So I wish I could tell you that I had the foresight to know what was coming. I didn't. Um, I actually said to my employer at the time that I wanted to leave. that I would be willing to work nights just to keep the same time zones as the UK. Um, But little did I know that actually being six hours ahead of your customers, Uh, six or seven for England, depending on British summertime, would turn out to be a massive unique selling point. So the the concept is that the management consultants should not be doing their own design. They write the brilliant content, they work uh, a long, hard day. Often, they'll stay up late anyway. But the idea that at 10 o'clock at night, a management consultant Is doing their own design on a presentation for the next day is just ludicrous because they are charged out at such a high hourly rate that they could actually get five hours of time with a graphic designer, which would be equivalent to one hour of theirs. So the service that we offer is to take that do-it-yourself design away from the management consultants. They can send their presentations as late as midnight. And then obviously, because of the time zones, we're picking that up at 6 or 7 o'clock in the morning. We're working on their presentations, designing it all up while they're asleep, and we deliver it back for 8 a.m. the next day. And uh, being in a time zone six hours ahead has actually turned out to be probably my greatest unique selling point.
0: No, it's so cool. And you kind of stumbled into it. You just kind of followed that desire, that passion, if you will, to be an expat in Thailand. And then sure enough, things kind of unfolded for you. One thing you, you alluded to I wanted to clear up for myself was it sounded like you worked for this company that you either still work for now or did you branch off on your own or just add another arm to it?
1: Sure, yeah, yeah. I've, I've kind of uh, made the best of it. So I, I started as a freelance graphic designer uh, working for them. So I would, I would work for them when I lived in London. The whole company was remote. So I would be sitting at home in my kitchen in stoke newington in london uh doing powerpoint presentations for for the management consultants from home Um, when i decided to move to thailand when when i came across I, i brought the job with me um and like i say the difference in time zones just then absolutely exploded and i became five times more in demand my service was five times more in demand with my regular clients because i was working what we call the graveyard shift, the shift that nobody wants to do is through the night. So with that incoming stream of work, it was like down to me really to take the next steps and that was to start hiring Thai graphic designers, uh, particularly web designers that I could then retrain to become PowerPoint designers and basically help me with the vast amounts of work that I was getting sent on on a daily basis.
0: That's so cool. How was that for you as you started to navigate that with the Thai designers? Was your Thai up to speed? Were they speaking English to you? I mean, how did that transition happen for you?
1: Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a really good point. So originally, my first employee was my wife. Um, and she would help me with cutting and pasting, typing, you know, some of the more repetitive tasks. So I might design the first slide or design the template and then she would help me fill all the content into like the next hundred slides because the, the PowerPoint design work is quite repetitive. You know, once you've got that template, you may well have a hundred slides that just need to look the same or or, or be in the same standard, or, you know, position, headings, font sizes, everything needed to be the same. So, um my next hire after that was actually an English graphic designer. And then from that moment on, it, we, we struck gold with uh, a series of Thai graphic designers. And all of our work is in English. So the interviews were in English. Um, most of my designers have a pretty good, uh, pretty good verbal conversational English. But one thing that we found out that they are really strong on is messaging, you know, typing small messages. They really do understand absolutely every word when we communicate that way. Um, so a lot of the notes that would come from from the clients come from the the, the management consultants would just be short, simple instructions uh, typed in English, which they completely understand and they get it. They get it. They get it right almost every time. Um, to enable us to find real gems, and by that I mean like really good, original thinking graphic designers in Thailand, we decided that we had to move to Chiang Mai, um, partly because I just didn't want to live in Bangkok. I'm sure I would have found a, a, a great supply of, graphic, of Thai graphic designers in Bangkok, but that's just not the place for me to live. Um, I tried also living on the islands. um We tried living down south, um, and then just Chiang Mai kind of presented itself as, as the next best option. Um, and that's where I set up my office.
0: Now, when you say you set up your office, you have people coming to work every day since it can be done remotely for everybody. It sounds like, is that a necessary sort of component of your business or is it just something you like having?
1: No, no. I, I found it necessary, um, Yes, we do work remotely, especially in the last two months. We've been 100% remote. But being a PowerPoint designer can be quite a tricky job, uh, certainly if you're left alone, uh, to do it by yourself. So the culture that we, that we have in our, in our office is that everybody helps everyone. And I've really taken that from working in 24-7 global presentation teams I used to work for the big banks in London uh, doing PowerPoint presentations. And one thing that, that I really took from there is that when a job comes in, someone might well get a six or an eight hour job landed on their desk, and then other designers only have small jobs. So there's a real culture of dividing up that job, splitting it up amongst other designers and getting help, you know, helping each other. Uh, otherwise, it can be quite a daunting task if you're the one that gets the big job with the with the really serious deadline and the person, you know, the other person doesn't get much at all. So by working from an office, um, it allowed me to really support them uh, to answer any questions that they might have about some of the nuances of, of the English or some of the... Some of the more complicated elements of the brief, it kind of allowed me to kind of stand over their desk and and point to things and direct uh, and really train them up to be able to do the job independently. Um, And here we are six years later, uh, and I no longer need to do that. The office that I hired, actually, I no longer work from at all, and neither does the English manager. We're both fully remote. And what it's ended up is our office in Nimen Haman in Chiang Mai it's now hundred percent for them. It's, it's, it has not, you know, the two English bosses don't work there at all. It's become the Thai graphic designer's office. Um, and they absolutely love being together. They, they enjoy having that type of culture and supporting each other and working as a team.
0: That's cool, man. Congratulations. It sounds like you've, uh, done kind of what we all dream of is you know writing ourselves out of the day-to-day of the businesses yet we still have a steady stream of income and happy employees congratulations man
1: thank you thank you you know a couple of years ago i would have i'd have i'd have been really quite pleased with myself for doing that um it was like a milestone that i wanted to achieve and there are a couple of reasons why i was able to do that and again I don't think it's because of my brilliance or my expertise or my vision. It's just like been a series of events that have just unfolded that have led me down a certain path. So I, I do feel quite blessed that that it's happened to me. I'm, I'm delighted that I have a business that pays me quite well, certainly by Chiang Mai standards, to live a pretty comfortable life.
0: Um, One thing that you alluded to, Pre, pre-show is you know how you kind of found yourself in a quasi-retired state at one point getting to golf whenever you wanted liquid lunches um and but it sounded like that wasn't fulfilling for you can you talk us through that
1: yeah for sure so the the reason why the the, the main reason how i managed to get myself out of the business was was quite simple i planned to go back to england for a six week holiday. It was time for me to visit my family. You know, I hadn't seen my father for a long time. It's very important that I spent some quality time with them. So I am a non-resident of the UK and therefore I'm actually not taxed in the UK. I checked out the tax implications and it said, if I go back to the UK and I work one minute of one day, then I have to pay tax in the UK for the whole year. So obviously that was something that I didn't want to do. I wanted to go home, but I did not want to be become a resident and become taxed in the UK. Um, So it was my ambition, and I told my team pretty clearly, I'm actually going to leave work. I'm not going to check my email because I thought, well, there's going to be an electronic trail here. If I'm if I'm still sending emails, the the tax man might well qualify that as working. So I said I'm going away for six weeks. I'm not even going to be checking my email. I trust in you. Good luck. See you in six weeks. So that was my first introduction to actually stepping myself out of the business. Um, I came back after a six-week holiday with my family, came back to business, checked checked on the figures, and there was virtually no (laughs) difference to the bottom line. I think we were down like 5%. So it made me question myself. I was like, oh, All the input that I put into this business on on like a day-to-day basis, not founding it, but but actually running it, is it worth about 5% of the turnover? I was like, oh, okay. well, potentially I could live with that. Um, Yeah, so so that's how it came about. And another reason that actually stopped me being a hands-on designer is uh, RSI, which is repetitive strain injury. I would work fast and I would work 10 to 12 hours a day, um, sometimes just a couple of hours, uh, just a couple of meters from the bed that I would sleep in. So I'd get up, check my email, start work, work all day and then go to bed. And I did that for years to build my company. Um, but the, like one of the repercussions of that was that I developed quite bad RSI in <laughs> actually in my mouse wheel finger. That was That was where it all manifested, and then it just spread all the way up my arm uh, into my shoulders, and it would give me excruciating pain if I spent too long actually on the computer so that was another reason why I actually had to step away from doing the work so it's It's not like I was the uh the forward planning entrepreneur that always had this in mind, like I say it was just like a like a series of of happenings that that kind of have led me in the way that I've I've gone.
0: Do you still suffer from this
1: RSI? If I was to do an eight-hour day on the computer, certainly at the pace that I used to work, which, you know, uh, it's all about fast design for my business. We all work fast. So if I was to do that, I probably would find some discomfort. But at the time, I was doing... Like I say, tense often ten to twelve hour days hands on working at speed, always on the computer, so that was what had to stop and as soon as I reduced that, the r s i has has dramatically reduced also we live in Thailand, right, so there is such a thing as a daily massage <laughs> my my wife used to uh used to take me to like some of the the real old Thai masseur experts, so you'd get this. You know, this 65 year old man who'd been uh, massaging people all his life. And I remember at one point he was, he was massaging the top of my shoulder, like pinching on my, uh, on my tendons and my nerves. And he said to my wife in, in, in Thai, he said, this guy's got the tendons of a 60 year old man. And I was like, Kim, Kim, what did he say? What did he say about me? And she went, Oh, you don't want to know. And, and that was, that was a real moment where I just thought to myself, I'm actually damaging myself here, like damaging myself long term, causing myself some some pretty serious discomfort, but potentially long term damage to my body. Um, so again, another factor for right, it's time for you to, to grow your business, to start hiring people and to start projecting yourself as the boss and no longer the guy that does all of the clicks.
0: Absolutely. I, I thought of a friend of mine who I interviewed in in chiang mai as well he lives just outside the city like you um his name's daniel foxman he owns thai freeze dry and um he freeze dries all the medicinal natural herbs from the jungle and one that i found really beneficial to me because i have like eczema um, inflammation issues was um mangosteen husk it's uh really anti-inflammatory and he freeze dries it and puts it in a little pill form and like i was taking that when i was in chiang mai it was just incredible how powerful it was and helpful and he uh he has like a genetic arthritis thing that is like really debilitating crippling in his hands but since he's been taking this for i mean he's been there like 17 or 18 years now like he doesn't really have it much anymore so i don't know if you're into that into that sort of thing but i'll send you the link
1: yeah, cool. I'd love to see it. Yeah, by all means. I've I never heard of mango steam hus before either. So there you go.
0: Yeah, it's uh, but you know the fruit, of course. Uh, yeah, I do. I love I, it. Love it. Queen of fruits. Um, <laughs> what What was so attractive about Thailand to you? The weather, being from the UK? I mean, why were you so fixated on Thailand being the place that you're going to go and meet the love of your life and retire? Because, I mean, you're a young man. like To have that kind of knowledge about what you want in of life, I mean, it's kind of unique.
1: Yeah. Um, again, Thailand kind of, it happened a little bit by accident. I think I was about 22 years old and my friends were planning a lad's holiday. And typically no one had really done any research. I think we all let one of the guys choose the choose the venue. And um, we just jumped on a plane and there were six of us. We were completely naive. Like I say, no one had read their Lonely <laughs> Lonely Planet guide. We just jumped on a plane, didn't really know what to expect and walked out the plane in Bangkok. And I'm sure many people have experienced this before where you just get hit by a wall of heat and it, it just blew us away. Like we we just had no idea that it was going to be that hot walking through the streets of Bangkok. I'd never smelt a city. I'd never witnessed a city that that just felt just so, I don't know, so crazy. But Thailand really attracted me because there's just a tremendous sense of freedom here. It, 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 even today, when I wake up every single morning and I just look up at the blue skies and, and uh, you know, we're lucky enough to be surrounded by nature here. It just has something really magical, whether or not that comes from the climate or the people or the food or maybe just kind of like the 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 jai yen yen, as they say in Thailand, like the, the the cool-hearted attitude that the people have here. There seems to be a tremendous sense of non-judgment from people on a day-to-day basis. I think if a if a Thai person doesn't like what you're doing, you know, if you're walking down the road and and they don't like the look of you or they don't like the 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 way you're carrying yourself or what you're doing, they tend to just leave you be. They tend to just kind of like get on with their life and just ignore you or certainly not be as judgmental as if I was in England where everybody loves to tell people whatever they're doing. You know, if they don't like it, they will tell you. Um, I think another really good example of that is road rage. So in the UK, road rage is such a thing. I mean, it's threatening. It's quite an intense thing. If you cut up a car Um, and and they want to just chase you all the way home or they want to, you know, let you know what they think about your driving. Whereas here, like the ties do drive pretty crazily. Um, The lines down the middle of a road are not lanes. They're just kind of like an indication to roughly where you might want to be in the road. There's this tremendous, like, feeling of oh, well, I can see there's a motorbike. I can see there's a truck. We'll all just kind of adjust a bit. We'll all kind of like just fit in together. And uh, there isn't that one person that's, no, this is my lane. You must get out of my lane. Otherwise, I'm sounding my horn all the way down. There's the culture of you give way to the vehicle that's bigger or faster than you. Um, you undertake, you overtake, you use the side lanes. It's just like more of a freer society it 's uh less judgmental, freer, easier, happier warmer um, they 're just a few of the words that i kind of i feel every day when i 'm living here
0: I can relate one hundred percent. I will get on a flight from l a x land in you know Bangkok at whatever you know twenty one hours later twenty two First thing I do is I go to that 711 and I just get a bunch of beer and I go sit in front of the the uh, airport and just like toast to my freedom and like this that smell and like everything that I love so much about travel and Thailand specifically I just I just sit there and soak up the airport and all the the beautiful sights that you get to see there I love it Cool.
1: I've never I've never actually done that in the airport, but I've drunk a few beers outside Seven Eleven in my
0: time. No, of course, yeah. I don't know why it's become such a ritual for me, but for me it's just... It, I came the first time from Calcutta when I was um, like 23. I flew from Calcutta to Bangkok, and having that contrast, I think, made that experience you described earlier that much more powerful and that much more special um, because Thai culture type people are just one of a kind they are so kind and so friendly and just go above and beyond like i've hitchhiked all over thailand and just people will go out of their way pull over like where are you going and they'll drive like 30 minutes to an hour out of their way to get you there you know
1: yeah yeah so i guess you you also have experienced that that tremendous sense of freedom that you get here and i kind of relate it a bit to like having no health and safety so if there's a great big hole in the middle of the pavement, I'm sure if we were in L.A. and someone tripped on it, it would be sue the government, sue the council. Um, there's a, a bit of a culture of that in, in England, too. But here, I don't know if there's a hole in a pavement and you fall down it. It's your own fault. You should have you should have watched out. Probably some tie will come along and just stick a branch in it just to give you a little bit of warning. But there's that lack of health and safety. I think is what the freedom is all about. Um, And I have really good memories of living in Ko Chang. Again, doing my PowerPoint design, finishing, let's say, at three or four in the afternoon for a break, and then just jumping on a motorbike, like only wearing a pair of shorts, don't even need a pair of flip-flops, don't need a towel because it was so warm. Just jump on my motorbike, drive to the nearest watering hole, which was just like a a free-running river that with all the rainwater that came down from the mountain and just swim you know swim in this beautiful clear water when you're done 10 minutes later when you've enjoyed your swim just jump back on your motorbike you know and just and just drive off it's just unbelievable sense of freedom and I'll always kind of remember that and and kind of extending that into nightlife as well there's a culture here where you can just ride your motorbike from bar to bar, you know, you just literally park it up outside the bar that you're going to go to, pop in, have a beer, eat some street food, jump on your motorbike, drive off. Now, I'm not I'm not saying that that drink driving motorbikes is is a good thing. Actually, I've lost a few friends in in my 13 years here of people that that have been doing that. But it's just the fact that you can and there's not a policeman telling you or there's not a council worker or there's not even a member of the public stopping you and directing you and telling you what you can and you can't do and i guess that's what i'm talking about that's that's what i feel when i talk about the freedom of life here
0: well yeah again i just relate so well one more question on the whole freedom tip if you could describe freedom with one smell what would it be <laughs>
1: I don't know why I'm going to answer this, but it's fish sauce. I mean, Bangkok stinks of fish sauce. Um, when my when my wife first came back to England, uh, she came and lived in, in in my house in London, and I was in I was sharing with a friend. And Kim brought fish sauce with her, and he he would tell me that like the, that smell just used to haunt him at night. It would come up from the kitchen, and it would like immerse his bedroom um and similar for my father as well when he first came to bangkok like he's not really into asia he doesn't like the heat and he absolutely hates that smell um so that that's the smell that i think of um not so much freedom but that's the smell of like bangkok streets it's 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 fishy and salty
0: it is mine's um the combination of burning leaves and trash like plastic to be specific like when i smell that i'm like i know i'm in a free free country or i feel like i am you know oh
1: man that's that's a bit of an issue here at the moment you know chiang mai's burning season i'm not i'm not sure how much we really want to talk about that but it's incredibly depressing the burning that goes on in chiang mai right now
0: yeah, I got to experience once I was living in Pai for like six months and my time up there kind of overlapped into like March and uh, it was horrific. Like, I Actually, that's what forced me to leave. I was sleeping with a face mask on, like choking, couldn't see, you know, like 10 meters in front of me because it's just such a thick fog of literally smoke.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, anyone that can now plans to get the hell out of Chiang Mai uh for that season it used to be oh it's a month and then it turned into two months now it's almost like a solid three months of having the worst air sometimes in the world like you look up beijing you look up like remote cities in india or industrial cities in india chiang mai often has worse air than all of these places um and when when you've got children in school and they shut the school down because the pollution's too bad like, I just think to myself, OK, like that's fair enough. Like we've got aircon, We've got doors that actually fit the hole um, so we can keep our, our, our house fairly airtight. I've invested in like six different air filters to be able to make the air breathable for my kids at night. But the big thing that I always think about is if you're closing the schools, what about the local kids? What about the Thai kids? Where are they going to go? You know, like surely the schools would be the best place for them. Um, So it's shocking. And I I just, you know, I wonder if the Thai government is ever going to realize exactly how much damage is being done to the to the the lungs of the young kids. Because they're not being properly looked after and they're not being educated on, on the burning season. For instance, Uh, I I work as a a football coach uh, in Chiang Mai, and as soon as the AQI, so the air quality index, rises above 150, we have to cancel all outdoor sporting activities. So from a coach and from a parent's point of view, this is just about one of the most depressing things in the world. You actually have to tell your kids, please don't go outside. If you do go outside, don't run, don't play sport, don't exercise to the point where you're getting out of breath because it's bad for you and my kids are looking at me going well that's a different message to what you've been telling me for the rest of the year and then i'm like yeah what you've got to do is you've got to stay indoors with the air con with the air purifier and you've got to play xbox for the next three months And they're like okay cool so they (laughs) my kids are very adaptable you know even in this corona lockdown they've had the best time of their life they've absolutely loved being locked in um and it's it's almost like something that they think now is, is like just part of their life. It's just pretty normal. Uh, but for me, it, it, it's depressing. And it's probably the one single factor that is making me evaluate whether or not Chiang Mai is going to be a long-term home for me and my family.
0: Interesting. Yeah, we were, I was going to get to that question. Before I do that, I'm assuming your Thai is good enough to be coaching your children's team. Um, are you coaching in Thai?
1: Yeah, actually, um, <laughs> for about, for about the first five weeks, I thought this boy was called Ying. And I, you know, I was like, okay, Ying, you know, and, and we talk in English as well as like occasional, occasional Thai words. Ying actually means shoot. <laughs> it took me four weeks to learn that word. I was like, oh shit, his name's not Ying. That means <laughs> everyone, would, everyone would just shout Ying, Ying. <laughs> like, okay, well, that's his name. So my Thai is okay. It's not great. It's not really a strong point of mine. Like I say, all of my work comes in, in, in English. My, my, uh, my employees, my Thai team have to have a reasonable level of English. And I think one of the reasons why I've been able to Survive and thrive in Thailand is because of my wife, who when I met her was just absolutely fluent in English. I mean, she is completely Thai, she's from Isan, but her English was really, really good. And she was the first Thai girlfriend that I'd connected with that truly understood me, that I could truly communicate with. Um, so actually, a lot of my life here in Thailand has still been in English language. And now I'd say 50% of my of my students, uh, football coaching students, are Chinese anyway. So we speak English to them. Um, so yeah, I've, I've kind of muddled my way through 13 years in Thailand without very good Thai. Um, and I feel sometimes that I've always kind of lived like an expat life, or I live a bit of a tourist life. And I actually quite like that. It works for me. Um, Tourists get treated really well here. Um, There's lots and lots of things to do. And I quite enjoy I quite enjoy being a bit of a tourist. I'm I'm going to say I've never really completely immersed myself in a Thai living conditions or a Thai culture. Um, I have friends that have done that. Uh, some of them have done really well and enjoyed it for, for a short amount of time. And one in particular, I think it drove him completely crazy that everything, as, as he used to say, everything's just different. He said the people are just wired a bit different when you go and really immerse yourself in Thai culture and live in a Thai village where there's no English language, where there's no shops that you would be familiar with um he he did it he he became like fluent in business tie but he didn't last he ended up going home back to england because it just drove him too crazy
0: yeah what are some of the things that you've seen kind of the pitfalls that we described or talked about pre-show that um you see people coming you know bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and hopeful and then leaving either with their tail between their legs or as you described earlier you know, if, what was it? How to how to create a small fortune is start in Thailand with a big one.
1: <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. I mean that that is a classic saying that a lot of the older expats that are sitting leaning on the bar, drinking the beer with their story, bitching about how they lost all their money or fell in love with a girl who took all their money. Um, that's that's kind of like they're saying, how how do you how do you make a big or how do you get to a, a small fortune in Thailand? Start with a big one. Yeah. So some of the pitfalls um, that that I think or some of the big ones do tend to happen around love life. You know, people tend to fall in love with the girl and say to themselves, wow, this one's different. I've never had an experience like this. She really loves me. She's 25 years younger than me, but we just hit it off. And then they tend to get a little bit surprised when it doesn't last. You know, when, when the, when the money tends to run out and they're left on their own, they have this, this bitter resentment. Um, So I just never wanted to be like that. I've met a few people like that in my, on my, on my time here, on my travels here. Um, And now it gets to the point where I kind of disassociate myself with, with that type of connection. I've, Stopped drinking in those sad, lonely beer bars. Um, I've tried to up my game, um, and a, a real big part of that is having children. So my kids go to this amazing school. Uh, it's a green school. It's out in Handong. The whole structure of the school is that is built from bamboo and mud. Um, it's expanded now, so there you know there is some concrete and there is some aircon but the whole school was designed to be aircon free it's designed so that the wind can whip through the uh, the buildings gives it like a natural cool ventilation it's surrounded by trees so it gets the shade and the breeze it's just an absolutely heavenly place to be you know a lot of parents when they drive down like this this bamboo path to get to school they drop their kids off and they don't leave <laughs> like it's that type of place it's just a really nice place to hang out um, and if you are a parent that's sending your kids to like a green school, which it has uh, Buddhist values running through the school, it's a values, value based education. If, you, if you're the type of kind of like forward thinking parent that, that is prepared to send your, your kids to that type of school, then you're a pretty good person to meet. I think normally it would be like ties that have traveled or, or kids that have at least one foreign parent. So it's a really nice mix of people, of forward thinking families, and they're the type of people that I like to hang out with now. So basically I've made a lot of friends through my kids going to school and through hanging out or dropping off at that school gate and just meeting some really inspirational people in Chiang Mai.
0: That's cool. Was it um, an expat who started that school or did it start as a Thai institution?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. It's actually, uh, and the, the architect is a German expat and he's married to a Thai who's an educator and they started it together.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's cool. You do, you definitely hear a lot of that, um, through the people I've interviewed in Chiang Mai and then as well around the world, they're always, um, usually starting their own kind of schools in the way that they feel their children will, best be educated and so you can get some very unique uh, schools in these countries that i know you, you and i both enjoy so much
1: yeah i, I mean that that is the model that like, they couldn't find a school that they love so they started their own and then they started recruiting other other kind of like-minded parents who who want to send their children there and i my kids joined on about the fifth year of this school being established so actually it's become quite quite well run by now it's it runs from an english syllabus but it's uh, a buddhist a buddhist school and yeah it's 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 we we get all the benefits of of those visionary school owners that that wanted to you know set up this place for their children
0: you mentioned uh possibly considering at some point due just to the pollution of relocating would it be some place in thailand or maybe Another Southeast Asian country? Have you and your wife kind of talked pretty in depth about that possibility?
1: Yeah. <laughs> this is, you, you, you've led on to something here because. Uh, my wife is so patriotically Thai. It's unbelievable. Like I don't think she wants to live anywhere else. I think it would be a real struggle. And every time I suggest to her that we might go somewhere else, whether or not that's back to England, possibly to America, maybe another Asian country, not quite sure. Um, she just keeps turning around saying, you will regret that decision. There's nowhere quite like Thailand. There's nowhere that's going to give you this freedom, you know, that you're going to be able to just walk out and buy this beautiful street food, have this peace of mind. Um, a great example of that is I've I mean, I'm a pacifist by nature, but I've never been in anything close to a fight in Thailand. I've never felt threatened I've walked through groups of, let's say, 10, 18-year-old Thais at 2 in the morning, hanging out on the street corner. I've just kind of plowed straight through them, and they're like, oh Saudi Arabia. you know, th- there's nothing threatening, there's nothing kind of uh, dangerous about Thailand and the people here from, from, like, being threatened. Whereas when I went back to England, <laughs> I experienced Very, very different scenarios, you know? Like, I feel threatened all the time there. I feel quite insecure. I would hate to be walking down Croydon High Street at four in the morning and try and barge my way through a group of, like, ten ten youths. It would just be a recipe for disaster. So she always keeps coming back to me and always keeps reminding me that you're not going to be able to beat this. There is something really, truly magical about living here. I mean, and that's also not even talking about the cost of living here, which was like a major thing at the start when we didn't have much money. Um, just your your dollar goes so much further in Thailand, but particularly in Chiang Mai and especially so six years ago in Chiang Mai.
0: Do you get homesick? Do you have anything that you do genuinely miss that you're just constantly thinking about?
1: I I mean, this sounds bad. I'm not the type of person that looks back. I'm only ever looking forward. So with social media, particularly Facebook, like I stay in touch with 25 people that I went to school with. You know, I see their activities on a daily basis when I do go home and I try to go home at least, let's say, once every two years, because I like to take my kids back home so that they know, you know, they know their English family. When I do go home, I would meet up with my friends, you know, like I'd, I'd put a little uh, a calendar event together and everyone would make the effort and come out to the pub to see me. And I would kind of look around the room and I'd say, so what have you all been doing? And they'd say, well, actually, we haven't met up since you last came back last year. You know, their lives have just run away with them. Um, and a lot of them are still doing that daily slog. They're still working getting up early, commuting into work, slogging away at the nine to five, getting home, absolutely shattered, you know, probably drinking themselves to sleep and then getting up and doing it all again. So I don't miss that. I escaped that and I'm really, really happy that I've managed to do that. Um, there are some things that obviously I'm quite fond of, you know, when I when I look back at my time in England, but all the things that you might say you miss, like, I don't know, it used to be like, oh, nice wine, nice cheese, um, sports, interaction with, with uh, English people. I can do it all from here anyway. You know, the shops here sell absolutely everything. You get Marmite. Marmite's the classic, right? Get Marmite in my local Rimping now. So that was it, I think. Licorice. Licorice was a big one for me. And Marmite, but like I say, both of those are like available here. And because of social media, I keep in touch with everyone, you know. What, in what, fact, go ahead, finish. Just, I, was, I was just going to say that I think I have a better relationship with my, with my parents, with my mother and my father. They're, they're, they're not together. So I end up putting phone calls into them. I'm going to say at least every two weeks. And I would phone my mum, And now we talk for like an hour on the phone. I never had that relationship with her when I lived in England, you know, when we lived together. So actually being 8,000 or I think six and a half thousand miles away can really work in your favor. My big sister calls me golden balls because it's like I can do no wrong with my parents. You know, when I come when I come home, I'm full of cheer. I bring my family. We stay for a short amount of time. You know, we don't overstay our welcome. We all have a great time. And then we go. And I just never create them any problems. um I turn up with you know a good positive attitude, bring their grandkids along, stay for a little while, and then go so I think the the balance and the mix of life that that I have here kind of satisfies everything for me and no i don't I don't miss home
0: talking about your positive attitude is that something that you have like generally did you have that back in the u k or was this something that you found? as you kind of went out into the world, took responsibility of your life and did what you wanted with it.
1: I've definitely always had a positive attitude. Yeah. Um, even doing like the first job that I can remember I did, which was I was a kitchen assistant. I was like 14 years old kitchen assistant. And it'd be like clearing out the bins, clearing up all the dirty food, doing the dishwashing. I'd still always do it with like a big smile on my face. And I remember people would always come up and say, why are you smiling? you know what what are you so bloody happy about and i'm just like oh i don't I, you know I, I i didn't realize i was smiling I, you know, I didn't i didn't really realize that about myself but i've i've always had a really positive attitude um i feel quite lucky in life things do kind of fall in place for me so yeah I've, i yeah it just kind of fits with with living here too where where the majority of people are also quite happy
0: mhm What kind of hobbies do you keep yourself busy with?
1: Yeah, actually, it was all work for years. It was just slogging away, making money, and then the hobbies would be like health and fitness and life and and dining. Um, They were were really, it just sounds like existing, but that's how I would choose to spend my time when I was flat out at work. Um, More recently, I've got back into football. Uh, so there's quite a community here in Chiang Mai of, of uh, players. But I really found myself when I decided to do football coaching. Um, I certainly don't do football coaching for the money. <laughs> Last year, um, I went back to England and I qualified as an FA. So that's a football association coach. So I got my badge, which meant that I was uh, entitled to legally teach uh, under 16s football. But not only that, it gave me all the tools that I needed. Um, so yeah, I've been doing a lot of that recently, and I kind of put so much time and effort and energy into that. At the end of last year, I, I did my accounts, did my personal accounts, and it paid me 1,600 pounds. And I would put probably more time and more effort into that in that last year than I did my actual business. So that was just a bit of a red flag for me, um, just to work out my priorities. Uh, I also had a, I also had an import export business from Thailand. One of the first things that I ever did when when I came here is like I just wanted to set up a business that would allow me to live and work in Thailand. So we used to it was myself and, and a friend we used to export mango wood home furnishings, bamboo baskets with like Thai silk lining. And there's another product called Benjeron Royal Porcelain, which is just this beautifully hand-painted, extravagant royal uh, design on things like urns and vases. So we started importing those products into England. Chapin, I've completely forgotten my train of thought. What, what, was, what was I talking about?
0: Um. I forget dude, I was like just kind of enthralled in, into the import export thing. I forgot my original question. It's okay. Just continue on to the import export thing because I'm curious. did that make you money
1: yeah actually this is this is what we were this is what we were talking about. so again, I did it because we were passionate about doing it. We set up um, exhibition stands in England. Uh, we won some pretty attractive customers. There's uh, a couple of department stores, John Lewis and Heels of London, which is like a quite a high profile department store. And we were supplying them with beautiful home furnishings made in Thailand. We were making the right margins on it. But did that business make a lot of money? Not really. Certainly not enough to sustain two of us because um, I, I did it with uh, as a partnership with a friend. In the end, we actually passed that business over to his wife, who has done quite well out of it, but there just wasn't enough money for all of us. And I remember I worked on it for about 18 months and my father was my accountant at the time. And I will never forget (laughs) the words that he said to me. He was like, Ash, you made more money when you were a paper boy. And I was. Oh, my God. I mean, this this is like another one where I'd given my heart and given all my energy into a business and thoroughly enjoyed it and learned a lot along the way. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't make money and you're putting all of your time and effort into it, it's not sustainable. And that business just was not sustainable for us.
0: I can relate. I mean, that's where I found myself in the last six months is shutting down my online surf instruction business, which last five years I've been trying to turn a profit with, just to even keep me on the road and just haven't been able to do it, which I mean leads me to us kind of connecting through the dynamite circle, which I know has been a huge influence for you, really positive one for me as well. Can you talk to the audience about you joining in the last what you joined like a year ago and how that's really impacted your your business and life yeah.
1: Well, this is this is such a good question for me, and it's it something that I, I'm really happy to talk about, and I've, I feel that I've spoken a lot about in the last year or so. Um, living here, having my business, kind of working myself out of the business, and then mingling with older, retired expats, so playing a lot of golf, having a few liquid lunches. I mean, that's pretty much what golf is, to be honest, especially here. Um, it was good fun, but again, like this term that keeps on coming up, it wasn't sustainable. This was not how I wanted to live. You know, I was at the time, like 42, 43 years old, hanging out with 65, 70 year olds, playing golf all day. Um, it became, I became quite isolated. I knew that I needed business support. I knew that I needed a mentor. I was looking for a coach. And I just didn't know where to start.
0: Why a coach? Just really quickly.
1: Well, just to help me take, take my business to the next step. Like I had absolutely no one that I could talk to about my business. I had no one. I, I just thought no one will understand the stage that I'm at. Uh, no one will really be able to work through this with me and help guide me. Um, And I was just so wrong, like I was isolated and uh, probably my brain was starting to regress because of the uh, uh, no offense to the they they won't be listening to it anyway. But no offense to all my old golf buddies. But that wasn't the type of intellect or, or stimulation that I needed as a business owner. And I was desperate. Like I was desperately looking for something. And I just didn't know what that was. So cutting a, a, a long story quite short, I bumped into someone at an event in Chiang Mai, and they just quite simply said, when I explained my situation, they said, you should listen to Tropical MBA. And I was like, Tropical MBA? You know, it didn't, it didn't really resonate with me at the time. So like everything, I scribbled it down in my book. And then about a week later, I checked it out. And one of the first episodes that I ever listened to was about an agency owner pretty much in exactly my situation and all the support options that were ahead for an agency owner just like me. And I remember I was listening to it at night um, on my, on my phone with headphones and I had to wake up my wife. It's like half 11 at night. I had to give her a little shake and it's like, you would not believe what I'm listening to. This is me. This is exactly me. I can't believe I found this. So, The podcast was how I I got introduced, and then I remember signing on to the DC and looking at a $500 membership. Now, I'd never spent $500 on a membership to anything online, so I was a little bit sceptical. I wasn't quite sure of the value that I would get from it, and certainly I'm not a forum guy, so I wouldn't pay $500 to have access to a forum. So it's like, well, what exactly am I going to get? So I looked on on the membership list and I saw someone that I knew. So I phoned him up straight away. I said, I've just got one question for you. Like we we spoke briefly about the D.C. and then I just said, I've just got one question for you. Did you pay five hundred dollars to join? And he was like, oh, I can't remember. And I was like, oh, that, that, you know, that was the killer question for me. I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to be scammed like, or, or pay, pay for something that everyone else was getting for free. So anyway, I did it. I joined up and I, uh, I signed up to go to Bali, which was my first one. And I remember turning up in Bali with quite formal shoes and quite a crisply ironed white shirt <laughs> and then meeting the, the DC Bali crew and going, I'm a little bit overdressed here. Um, But the value that I got from day one was unbelievable. Sitting and listening to people, sharing their expertise. What I love about the DC is like the openness. What do I call it? I call it like open source genius. People stand up and they tell you exactly what they've done, exactly what they've learned, how they've experienced it, and the benefits of doing so and some of the pitfalls, and they just stand there and they share this this wisdom with you. And that has just been absolutely enlightening for me and completely motivational. I actually applied to, um, to get a scholarship to Austin. And I probably would never have gone to Austin if I hadn't have won the scholarship. I remember it said in three sentences, say exactly what this opportunity would mean for you. So I just related it straight back to the fact that oh, I feel isolated. I don't know what to do. I've established quite a nice business, but I just don't know the next steps. I'm looking for a coach. I'm looking for a mentor. And, I, I you know, I put that quite concisely into, into three sentences. And then I was delighted when they told me I'd won. So, you know, within two weeks after Bali, I was flying straight off to, to Austin and just the reception I was given, the support was unbelievable. So winning the scholarship, um, they, uh, Jimmy Hayes sent me some mineral luggage, which was just like an amazing bonus. Uh, ben McAdam, Henry Dars and Samantha Alvarez, both or oh, sorry, all three of them gave me three months of their coaching service for free. Um, and it was just it was the arm around me. It was the support. I just needed at the time um, just to be, to be able to, I think I call it like it's, it, is it coaching or is it therapy? I think I called it business therapy because it's just let it, it was like venting out some of the, uh, some of the problems that I have with people who go, yeah, yeah, that really was what I was looking for, what I was in need of.
0: Yeah. I feel this. If I feel the exact same. And also in that it's, um, it's what you would normally pay like a coach, like five grand to tell you when you have like all these people, like you just described, willing to divulge. I mean, it's not free because we pay to be in the, in the group, but it's like you get so much value. I think for such a fraction of what, you know, some coach is going to charge you.
1: Absolutely. Actually one stage more than that. So I've been, I've been a member of the DC for a year. Uh, I'm a very sociable person. I like face to face events. Uh, when I went to Austin, I kind of kind of set it as my goal, not not to get to know everyone, but to at least meet everyone that was there. Um, and I <laughs> did a pretty good job of that. Um, so I met I've met a lot of people. But the short of that is that I think in the last 12 months, I've made about 250 really inspirational friends. But like I take it one stage further. There, it's not it's not just a, a community like I've actually made personal friendships. That have changed my life, that have really led me in a positive direction. Um, a couple of years ago, I decided to sack off a couple of my old Chiang Mai friends. We'd just, we just, you know, I was trying to lift them up. They were trying to lift, well, they were probably bringing me back down. Um, and I love to help people until the point when they won't help themselves. And then I've realized that I kind of lower my game to to fit in with them and I'd realized that's exactly what I was doing drinking too much going to to the wrong bar staying out late not being a particularly good husband and definitely not being a good father like just picking up too many bad habits and I'd I'd noticed that within myself so I made the call and I remember telling my wife she didn't believe me at the time I was like i'm going to stop hanging out with these people and she's like oh yeah sure i've kind of heard this before i believe it when i see it and i did i just cut off from that moment on so that actually left me even more isolated i knew that i didn't want to be hanging out with with those people doing that type of stuff but it left me in kind of no man's land so i was even more receptive to making new friends in the dc and these aren't just normal friends you know they're entrepreneurs they're business people. They they are motivated. They have wisdom to share. Often, some of them have expertise that they you know that that makes them stand out from the crowd. And these are just exactly the right type of people for me to be hanging out with. It's raised my game no end, and it's made me a better person. It's made me a better father. It's made me definitely a better husband.
0: That's beautiful, man. Is it also quantifiable, like in in your numbers? Are you seeing a huge uptick in uh? Your income?
1: No, not yet. (laughs) That's okay. Not. Yeah. Um, one thing that I have done and I have to do a little shout out to Henry Darz here because he made a tremendous impact on me. He was my first coach. He was the one that I signed up for first, but he was just the one that I had to really let it all out to. So what, what Henry did is he really helped me stabilize my business. like, Really make sure that the foundations were in place to allow me to be comfortable to step away from it again. Um, So so have has have my numbers increased slightly, slightly. Um, But I've definitely become a better leader, a better boss. Um, this actually was kind of like one classic moment that I'd love to share with you. I think I was a pretty shit boss for quite a long time, especially to my English manager. You know, he was he was pretty insistent that I was one of the worst bosses ever. Um, five years ago, I asked him, what do you want on your business card? We were printing some business cards and he said, oh, on mine, you can put right hand man. and I just didn't get it. I didn't, I, you know, I, I, remember it, I remember him asking for it, but I didn't really resonate with it. Then after Bali and especially after going to D.C. Austin, I realized that this guy had been a rock for me, that I was the visionary. I was the, uh, the kind of like mad professor of the company with all the ideas and that this guy was the total integrator and just how much I adored his contribution to our success and it really did take the dc for me to see that i remember a lot of dcs would would always be looking to find their integrator or their right hand man or find someone that they could trust as a business manager to help them with their business and i'd had it i'd had it on a plate for five years and i would really taken it for granted so when I came back from Austin, I went into the office because he was working He was working in the office like a couple of days a week, went into the office and said, I want a hug. And like he's like, this is not the ash that flew off to Austin. This is a completely different version. He was incredibly uncomfortable with the hug because that's the type of person he is. But I, I think in the end, I actually told him I loved him as well because of the contribution and the dedication that he had given my business which now I call our business. I I talk to him now like he's a co-founder. He's not. He works for me. But I I now treat him like a co-founder. I respect his contribution way more. And it's just made me more grateful, but also more aware of what I've got and the people that I've employed. I've been incredibly fortunate that I've very rarely lost a member of staff hardly anyone has left my company in six years a couple of people have um but the core design team and particularly jason who is the uh, the english manager have just been phenomenally loyal to me and really have have facilitated the growth of the business
0: that's awesome congratulations yeah henry was kind enough to uh, do some coaching with me i've had one on the podcast as well i'll link um his episode in the show notes but that's uh, amazing. Congratulations. Like you can just hear your your appreciation for your manager after um, it sounds like you have DC members and Henry really kind of flipped everything upside down for you and, and showed you a new path.
1: Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> so Henry's, Henry's a New Yorker. He's a hard-hitting kind of like no bullshit type coach. He has seen and heard it all before. And what I loved about Henry was he always has – like a classic saying for every situation I'm in. Like, it, it, he's just got it. And I, I, you know, I, when I'm talking to Henry, I have to make notes because he just says so many brilliant little classic one liners that I'm just like, oh, I've got to keep that. I've got to have that. I've got to remember that. So, Henry's call with me, because of the time difference, we used to do them at 7 a.m. on Monday. So, if you want a positive start to your week, Take Henry Dars at seven AM on a Monday morning because that will get you in shape. Um, and it and it really did with me. I I really really benefited from
0: my time with him. Do you consider yourself an intuitive person?
1: Yes. Yeah, I think so. Why do you ask?
0: Just the way kind of life has unfolded for you. You imply implied that um things have just kind of always worked out. Your sister calls you what golden balls or something like that. Like <laughs> that's the one. that's the one. I I yeah have these sorts of questions for people where it's like navigating business with intuition, I think is important. But as I think my last guest talked about, it's, it's only important if you understand the business, because if you're just trying to navigate into, in a business model that you don't really understand intuitively, you're fucked. (laughs) Like it's just not going to work out. And actually that, that came from Viola who you'll hear. Um, she's also in the DC and an expert in, um, um, search engine optimization, but yeah, just that intuitiveness that I think, you know, maybe a Steve jobs had and like you can get to the top, but you have to really, I think, understand your business, your niche.
1: So maybe I am, maybe I am intuitive and I just kind of relate it to being fortunate and fortunate maybe is just being in the right place at the right time and being open to opportunity. mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, everything does seem to fall into place for me, you know i've I've really experienced that throughout my whole life,
0: yeah, or like a lot of people say luck is when preparation meets opportunity, you know, and it sounds like you were you've worked very hard to get where you're at, you know, you spent a lot of hours behind the computer,
1: yeah, I do keep on reminding myself of that, um, I think it's it, it, One thing that I knew I missed was when I was a hands-on PowerPoint designer and I was sending all those jobs back for 8 a.m. And my clients, my management consultant clients, would pick up that file, dash off to their meeting, they'd scan the file, and they'd just write back, wonderful, thank you so much, oh, brilliant, you've made my day, you know. I would just get a stream of positive comments coming back at, like, Three o'clock in the afternoon or five o'clock in the afternoon, whatever time they picked up their files and they they just accepted the changes and then and then uh would just give me recognition for a job well done. I really missed that when I became like the boss. I wasn't getting those pats on the back. I wasn't getting the daily recognition from happy clients, so a little exercise that i that I have to do with myself now is to give myself that self-appreciation. I've actually recorded a little mantra and it's like, yeah, you did a good job. You've worked hard. Congratulations. Like I have to keep on reminding myself because there is a bit of an, a bit of an empty void within me that I'm not getting that sort of recognition from my clients or or from on a daily basis.
0: Do you listen to that? Is that what you recorded for yourself to like listen to before bed or when you wake up in the morning?
1: I do. Yeah, I do. I, it's actually an initiative that I've been working on with June Bui. Um, she's been a really, really great uh, kind of like visionary coach. She does a bit of five year goal setting with me and uh, helps me to become the future version of myself that I really want to be. And one of those things, you know, one of those little obstacles that I had was a bit of self recognition, just just, you know, not beating myself up you know, for not driving my business to the next level or not being the super CEO that would launch a a SaaS business or a productized service or take my agency business and take it to, you know, seven figures. She kind of like gives me the reassurance. Don't worry, you've done a good job of where you are so far. So the next steps will unfold. But like, don't beat yourself up over the fact that you, you know, you haven't achieved all the things that some of like what I call the heavy hitting DCers have. She's like, yeah, don't worry, take your time, you know, you'll get there. So that's that's one of the exercises that I've done with her.
0: Do you have ambition to like grow this into something big and then maybe retire completely from it, or just re- grow into something big where you can just level up your lifestyle, be, be traveling, you know, business class, first class, however you want to live? Is that a goal? Mm.
1: It is, yeah, it is, and it's a goal that's become really apparent to me, especially recently. Like I put some, I put, I put a number on it. I know, I have a vision of the person that I want to be, and that person is a provider. It's a provider to my, to my immediate family, but also to my extended family. Um, when I went back to Seven Oaks in Kent, which is where I'm from, uh, that I hired. Uh, just for 3 weeks on airbnb i hired a million pound mansion now that sounds quite quite grand but in seven oaks most of the houses are million pound mansions so anyway i hired this house and it meant that i could invite my father i could invite my sisters invite my mother to my house for a change you know i didn't bring my kids and sleep on the floor or we all cram into the spare room Like this was the first time that actually I came back and I was like, this is my house. We're going to entertain you. We're going to cook for you. We're going to host. And that was just such a positive memory for me that I cling on to that. I want more of that. I want to be the provider for my family um, and especially for my two children, because. It seems that if they grow up in Thailand, they want to go to England and uh, probably it's vice versa. You know, if we took them to school in England, they probably want to go to Thailand. But I guess what I'm trying to say is when they hit a certain age, that will be their decision. And if they want to go and study in America or Holland or Germany, or maybe they want to move back to the UK uh, for job opportunities, apprenticeships, whatever it is that they choose to do. I want to be able to provide, but not only that, I want to be able to travel with them. I want to be able to go and support them. You know, my wife is very unlikely to let my kids go. You know, she said, oh, if they go, I go. You know, she will travel the world with them. She will go to school, to uni with them. Um, So I I follow that dream. I love that dream. It, It feels just right for my heart, but obviously you need to be fairly well off to keep your house in chiang mai to afford the beautiful green private school and then you know the amount of money that it's going to take maybe if they decide to go to university yeah that's why that's why i need to scale up right now that's what
0: i'm thinking of do you have a timeline that you've set for yourself like a goal in the future like five years ten years i know you mentioned you're doing a five-year plan but do you have something written down
1: yeah i do i do um I've set the goal, I want a personal wealth of $10 million in five years. Um, And I've even even transferred that into dollars because I'm now following what I kind of call a bit of an American dream. I've worked out of the UK for a long time. The pound has over the last four or five years steadily plummeted against the bar. So if you can imagine all my clients pay me in pounds, Yet all my outgoings are in Thai Baht, And I think Brexit was one that triggered it. I think I lost something like 27 percent of my monthly salary. So the, the, the amount of billing that we take when I transferred that back into bar, I was 27 percent down than I was pre-Brexit. So that hit me hard. Um, not only that, I have savings in the UK that I bring over uh, to support my life here. Even the, trans- the the transferring of that money, you know, it just dramatically dropped. Um, I actually bought my own house here in in Chiang Mai, um, and I uh, in the end I got a mortgage on half of it because I thought to myself, oh, the exchange rate. Uh, I think at the time it was like 55 baht to the pound. I was like, oh, that exchange rate's not that good, you know. If it was 58, I'd probably bring all my money over. And then it's just plummeted to down now to to, it hovers around 40 and it dropped as low as 38. So one of the one of the goals that I've set is to expand into the American market. Uh, There's a couple of reasons for that. One, I think I can charge a premium for my services in America. Uh, Two is that the management consultancy that I work for want me to work exclusively for them. They don't want me to ever work for any of their competitors or their clients. So that pretty much rules out a lot of industries in the UK. Um, They are one of the largest independent management consultancies in the UK. But if you compare that to America, not a patch. You know, these guys are minnows compared to some of the giant firms that are out there in America. So that combined with like the positive attitude that I got when I came to uh, to Austin, just like really positive, upbeat, supporting people, I just loved it, and I thought, well, yeah, this this is where I actually want to start working from now. So I've set my set my goals on the American Dream. Uh, I want to expand my business into America. I want to be like the PowerPoint black belt, as I call myself. Um, And just refining that offer a little bit more, my team have been working with a really progressive management consultancy for quite a long time. We've picked up some really good industry practice. What we're able to do is take a presentation deck or a pitch document and by design increase its chances of success. So we increase conversion rates on proposals and documents. We create animated explainer videos that when you pitch for a new account, instead of just leaving a copy of the slides or leaving a presentation or a PDF or a document, actually what, what we leave behind now are little animated explainer videos that paint a picture of the future. So it would just be like a 60-second cartoon-style animation that just explains to the client, if you go ahead and use our services, This is your vision of the future. It's really nice to do that in cartoon graphics because anything's possible. You know, there's, there's nothing you can't do with a cartoon character. And people tend to believe stories that they're told by cartoon characters more than, let's say, a human or like a stock photography or a stock video. Cartoons are just friendlier. They're more believable and people tend to judge them less. So this is another thing now that we offer. It's whenever I explain that to, to anyone that does pitches, they're like, yeah, that's a really good idea. Um, you can leave behind the video and then anyone who wasn't present in the pitch. It's very easy for them to get like the just to be sent the, the, the video so that they can watch it in 60 seconds and just get like a really nice overview of why you should say yes to this proposal. So that's kind of going to be my angle in, in the U.S. to increase the effectiveness of presentations by design, um, and to increase the likelihood of the conversion by design.
0: That's awesome, and that's through your your company, Overnight Dot Design.
1: That's correct. Yeah, it used to be called PowerPoint Designers. It's a it's a Thai registered company, and at the time we would just focus on PowerPoint, but since then maybe probably half of our work now is is done in adobe creative suite so brochures white papers are designed in indesign and then we have you know the animation the illustration all done using uh, adobe creative suite
0: well this is cool man i wish you all the best congratulations on just the accomplished accomplishments that you've made If you could just take one second to talk to an individual listening right now who's heard your story related to it, inspired by it, but maybe still has a little bit of hesitation, you know, take that trip to Thailand, start their first online business or whatever they may want to do. Is there anything you could say to them to help motivate them to take that first step?
1: Yeah, I think that they should lean on someone because I did. I had at the time a friend that stopped me making all of the silly mistakes that I would have made if I tried to do it by myself. So I've benefited from the DC. um, But even if they're not part of the DC, they should find someone that can help them. Um, An example of this recently is I was chatting to someone on LinkedIn because I talked to a lot of uh, PowerPoint designers who do exactly the same job as me because, you know, we, we share quite a few experiences of what it's like to be a PowerPoint designer. And this, uh, let's say, 45-year-old Indian guy just said, what do I need to do to start a successful PowerPoint design agency? You know, he'd seen that that I had one and he was just just to ask the question, just like, what would I need to do? And I was like, well, what you need to do is you need to get good clients. You know, you need to have a regular stream of good clients. And he's like, well, then he just asked me, well, how would I go about doing that? And I was like, well, potentially I could help you with that, you know. And just by asking the question in a polite way and, you know, not, 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 not pressing down on me, but definitely leaning on me a little bit for some guidance for some wisdom. And then he had, the, he had the balls to ask the question, you know, oh, could you send me a client? Do you have a client in mind for me? And in the last month, I've sent him three different clients. These are, these are uh, clients that no longer fit into my business model, they're smaller, one off jobs. And now we're trying to go for like more regular, high paid work. So it didn't fit with my business. My business is, is, is running almost at capacity. Especially working remote, I didn't want to be absolutely loading my designers with extra work. They've been servicing my big clients absolutely brilliantly. So I didn't want to just spring like a little one off project, low paid one off project that really kind of stressed them out on top of their daily work. So because he asked, he got. I sent it to him and he did a really good job. He's super professional. So that could well be the start of me helping him build his agency. And it all came from just finding someone that you can learn from, someone that has experience, someone that knows the way, and just politely asking them for a little bit of support or asking them for their expertise.
0: That's great advice, Ashley. Thank you so much for your time. Folks, check him out at overnight.design. And anywhere else, Ash, that they could uh, find you if they need just to reach out directly?
1: Sure. I mean, I'm pretty active on Facebook. I've now really started to embrace LinkedIn. Um, I enjoy I enjoy socializing on LinkedIn. There's some, some really good content. So they're, they're the two, really. Facebook and LinkedIn for, uh, for conversation. You can find me there. Um, but if you go to overnight.design, you will get a, a link to my LinkedIn profile from there.
0: Thank you again. We appreciate you and love you, my friend.
1: Cool. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed talking
0: to you. Awesome. Ashley, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you. Like I said, I could really connect with your story. I found so many things you talked about, those those feelings you have just when you land in Thailand to those freedoms you talked about by being in Thailand. All those things I felt for myself in Thailand and all the other beautiful places I love around the world. That's why I love traveling. That's why I love being an expat. It truly is the most Freeing feeling I've ever experienced just to be on the road and in these cultures where I feel less inhibited by the politics or even the social norms and mores of my culture. So, thank you again for joining me, folks. If you want to check him out, head over to overnight.design. And if you want to support Misfits and Rejects, remember you can do that in one of two ways. You can do that by giving a donation through Patreon, that is always appreciated. Nothing is expected. It's a monthly donation $1, $2, $5, $10. I'm working on creating something that for those who sign up for a $25 donation, I'll have a special gift of some kind for you. And if you just want to head over to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop and pick up a misfits and rejects t-shirt, remember I can send those anywhere in the world. So don't hesitate to pick one up. If you are in Australia, Southeast Asia, Europe, wherever you may be, I can get that to you. They're super comfortable tri-blend material, very lightweight, very comfortable. I have no doubt you'll enjoy that. And I love getting pictures of fans wearing the misfits and rejects logo across their chest. So Thank you so much for your support. I think you all are so very beautiful. Get ready for next week's episode, Monday morning, 9 a.m. I appreciate you. Take care. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.